Listen, there's a great work to be done. As soon as you win this court battle, you must deliver this message. Take advantage of this opportunity and declare a powerful message to this world. He expects more of us. He believes we can do more. Who's going to stop Christ? Who's going to stop Christ from getting this work done? This is Behind the Work. Welcome to Behind the Work. I'm Grant Turgeon. Have you ever strained and strained to try to open a bottle or a door or to turn a knob and you found out that you were actually turning it in the wrong direction? So no matter how hard you exerted yourself, there was no way you were going to open it. This is similar to an example from the worldwide news of December 24th, 1984. The writer talks about trying to take off his lawnmower blade and replace it. And so he's in his front yard just pulling away, trying to wrench off the blade. And finally, his neighbor told him that he was pulling in the wrong direction. This writer said, to be told we are wrong is sometimes an embarrassment, even a humiliation. We want to run and hide our heads in shame. But there are times when finding out we are wrong is sudden and immediate relief. No longer do we have to keep doggedly trying to do something that isn't working. So this is really a metaphor of life for a true Christian. When we are trying as hard as we can to find our own solutions and go our own way, we find that we are not making the kind of progress we desire. We are not finding lasting success. We are straining and pulling and twisting in the wrong direction. The only way to really achieve what we want is to go the other way, to go God's direction, to turn from our way to God's way. And it's actually amazing how many times this has happened to men of God throughout history. There are so many examples of this simple principle. Now, a really clear one is King Solomon. King Solomon made around $33 million a year in pure gold. King Solomon was extremely wealthy. God also made him the wisest man who has ever lived besides Jesus Christ. This man did everything his own way. He turned away from God to try to find pleasure and satisfaction. Like I said, he was very rich. He also loved many strange women, as it says in 1 Kings 11, verse 1. 
700 wives, 300 concubines. To impress all of these women, he had his own personal army of charioteers, 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horsemen. He even built new cities for these horsemen. He imported their horses from Egypt. He imported all the best fabrics to keep his wives happy. 1 Kings 10 verses 28 through 29. He tried to become happy through nonstop entertainment and laughing through drinking. He constructed monuments to himself. He constructed all kinds of beautiful public works. He did everything he possibly could to find happiness, building all kinds of houses for himself. His wives worshiped pagan gods, so he built temples to those gods. He raised all kinds of gardens with rare trees and plants. He tried everything. And he evaluated the results. Thankfully for him, he evaluated the results. Solomon went all out in his own way. He really strived wholeheartedly to go his own way. And Ecclesiastes 2 verses 9 through 10 say that he did not restrain himself from any joy. He didn't hold back in the slightest. And yet, Solomon hated life. There's a Key of David program by Mr. Gerald Flurry of that title. Why Solomon Hated Life. You can find that at thetrumpet.com. He had it all physically and materially, and yet he just wasn't happy. Notice Ecclesiastes 2, verse 17, the Living Bible Translation. Solomon said, So now I hate life because it is all so irrational. All is foolishness chasing the wind. Now, at least Solomon figured this out. At least he didn't permanently continue going the wrong way. It certainly appears like at the end of his life, he got back on track. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes to really warn everyone else not to go the wrong direction, not to pull endlessly against God and try to go their own way. Notice Ecclesiastes chapter 12, uh, just this advice to us. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1, Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when you shall say, I have no pleasure in them. Solomon says, start young. Please start young if you can, obeying God and going the right direction. If you're not still young, start now before it's too late. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God 
and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's what Solomon learned from a lifetime of going his own direction. But Solomon's not the only one who learned this lesson. There are plenty of other men of the Bible, servants of God, who had to learn this the hard way. The Apostle Paul was an avid persecutor of Christians before God converted him. God literally struck Paul blind to wake him up. And Paul learned the right way. He learned to go the right way. Philippians 4 verse 11, Paul writes, For I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Paul became happy no matter what. Now you have this contrast. Solomon had all the wealth you could ever imagine. He was never happy. But thankfully, it seems like at the end of his life, he changed and went God's way again. Meanwhile, Paul was persecuted nonstop. He was beaten and left for dead. He was shipwrecked multiple times. He was persecuted. He was eventually killed for teaching God's truth. And yet, no matter what, Paul was always happy. Once God struck him blind, converted and humbled him, and put him on the right track, going God's direction, Paul was very happy. So it just shows we don't need endless wealth and endless material things to be happy. Paul didn't have any of that when he served God. Now, of course, he found joy in serving the brethren and being with them and helping them and delivering God's message. Paul found joy in his relationship with God in the pages of the Bible as well. So Paul had a lot. He was very rich spiritually. That's why he was so happy. He was going God's direction. No longer was he twisting and turning and pulling in the wrong direction. That's what made Paul happy. He was happy as soon as he submitted to God and started obeying the Ten Commandments. How about another example? The late Worldwide Church of God founder Herbert W. Armstrong. This man had it all figured out by age 18. He was ready to get into the advertising field. He chose jobs that would train him for that profession. He educated himself. He got experience that would help him be successful in the advertising field. And this is what Mr. Armstrong wrote in a November 18th, 1965 uh, Plain Truth subscriber letter. I worked hard, studied late. Ten years later, I was making an income equal to about $350,000 a year on today's dollar value in my own business as a magazine publisher's advertising representative in Chicago. Well, Mr. Armstrong had it figured out. He was going his own direction, making 
hundreds of thousands of dollars a year running his own business, finding material success in this world, and yet he wasn't going God's direction. God had something to teach him. In 1926, Mr. Armstrong entered a night and day, six-month intensive study of the Bible. He had to prove the existence of God, and he also had to prove that we should keep the Sabbath day. He was challenged in these two areas, and he got to the core and answered both of these questions based on the Bible, based on truth. And this really started to move his life in God's direction. <laughs> he says he was goaded into an intensive study of the Bible. He was provoked. His own wife provoked him to prove the Sabbath day. Mr. Armstrong didn't want to keep the Sabbath day. He didn't want to stand out and be peculiar compared to the world. He was worried about what all of his high-level professionals, all of his associates would think. He had a lot of important friends in the world. He didn't want to be a weirdo. But he was also challenged by another relative about uh, atheism. Someone who mocked him for even believing in God. Mr. Armstrong proved that we should keep the Sabbath. And he, he proved the existence of God. And this was a study that really excited Mr. Armstrong. He wrote, I delved further and intensively into science. I began to learn things about the laws of radioactivity. I found proof that there has been no past eternity of matter. Matter was created. It had a creator. I studied everything on the origin and existence of life, of the conservation of matter, force, and energy. I sought proof of the evolutionary theory. Instead of proof, I found it absolutely disproved. By infallible proofs, I found the existence of God, the divine, all-intelligent, all-powerful, personal creator, positively proved that was the starting point he talks about how he goes on to prove the bible true and once he realized that the bible is the instruction manual for mankind god's way of teaching us his direction the right way to go then mr armstrong could prove from the bible that god still expects us to keep the sabbath Mr. Armstrong writes, the Bible I discovered is not a namby-pamby collection of sentimental, sanctimonious, but impractical religious sayings. It is a down-to-earth, common-sense revelation of basic, essential knowledge, plus a revelation of the only right approach to further and real scientific knowledge, which is acquirable by man. It contains, for instance, the foundation for and the only right approach to a study of psychology, history, biology, philosophy, the humanities, sex, music, business, homemaking, nutrition, etc., etc., etc. Taken as it is, the Bible makes sense and is the most rational book ever written. 
and it foretells today's world events and the immediate future. I had discovered the source of truth. Mr. Armstrong writes how studying into the Bible and proving the Bible true made him see himself for who he really was, made him see himself as a sinner, someone who had been living a life in rebellion against God. And Mr. Armstrong gave himself over to Christ in complete submission, obedience, and faith. He writes here, never before could I understand the Bible, but now it became plain and the most absorbing interest I had ever known. So I continued study almost night and day. Literally, Jesus Christ yanked me out of the advertising profession, thrust me into his work. Wow. Mr. Armstrong was pulling and twisting and exerting himself, going his own way, and God put him on the right track. God pulled him to go the right way. Now, God doesn't continue to drag us and force us to go the right way, but he will give us a jolt. He will give us a pull. He will see if we are willing to obey him. And then it's up to us to choose to go that right direction. Solomon learned that lesson eventually, it seems. Paul learned that lesson. Mr. Armstrong learned that lesson. And all of us must learn that lesson and go in God's direction. Philadelphia Church of God Pastor General Gerald Fleury has written a booklet titled Jonah, A Strong Warning to God's Church. You can get a copy for free at thetrumpet.com. And he writes on page four, Jonah had to repent in order to give Nineveh a chance to repent. To give Nineveh a chance to do the same. You see, those of us serving God today, and being called into his church, have to repent. We have to repent to give the world a chance to do the same. We have to give them an opportunity to hear God's warning message and take heart. Now, if you know the story of Jonah, you know that Jonah didn't quite do it the right way at first. He he literally ran the wrong direction, and then he sailed the wrong direction out to sea to try to escape his responsibility to warn the Assyrians. The Assyrians were a brutal people. They were notorious for torturing people to death, taking, basically skinning people alive, pulling out their entrails, burning people to death. They would literally put heads on pikes all around the city as a warning to everyone else. 
They gloried in conquest and brutality. And here Jonah is told by God he has to go into the midst of Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria, and warn them. Jonah didn't want his head on a pike. He didn't want to be skinned and disemboweled and burned alive. And so he ran the wrong direction. We can all understand (laughs) that line of reasoning. We all have to face that spirit within us, that cowardly spirit. This is not unique to Jonah. But the thing is, God is on our side and there's nothing to fear. We should not run from God. We should run to God and go God's direction. We have a responsibility to teach the world and to tell the world of the suffering that is coming. Jonah repented and there's a beautiful prayer in Jonah chapter 2. Uh, It's powerful poetry, definitely worth all of us reading. And God rescued Jonah from the belly of a great fish that swallowed him while he was out at sea. This fish vomited out Jonah upon the dry land, it says in Jonah 2 verse 10. You could imagine Jonah being pretty humbled at this point. He's covered in fish vomit and probably stinking badly. And he has to go back to Nineveh, which he should have done in the first place. So God tells him again, arise and go to Nineveh and preach unto it the preaching that I bid you. That's Jonah 3 verse 1 and verse 2. And then verse 3 says, So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Eternal. And you can see in the rest of this book how all of Nineveh repented in sackcloth and ashes. They fasted and turned to God. These violent, savage people turned to God. Because Jonah delivered the message. This is a strong warning for God's people, as Mr. Fleury writes in the Jonah booklet. Page five says, when God's word, his revelation comes to us, it is very dangerous knowledge. When this happens, our eternal lives are at stake now. Do we dare be casual about our calling? God's work has many supporters, the work of the Philadelphia Church of God. But not everyone is willing to make the next step and take action based on the truth they know. Every one of us has to examine ourselves in this area. Are we doing what God wants us to do? Are we submitting to him and going God's direction, the right direction, Page five, Mr. Flurry writes, so often we fail to see just how evil we are. We are afflicted by a plague of the heart, as it says in 1 Kings 8, verse 38. 
we are wicked people. And so often we have to get to the brink of destruction before we make the right decision and go the right direction. Just like King Solomon waiting until the very end of his life, until it was almost too late to finally go God's direction. We have to get a message out to the world and we have to run God's direction. We have to run to warn the world. This is really a beautiful booklet and it's very short as well. Uh, the Jonah booklet is barely over 10 pages long. It's, it's, a little over 13 pages long, to be exact. So this is something you could read or study in a day. And there's a lot we can learn from this. This is a strong warning to us as we deliver God's message today. We must run in the right direction. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Behind the Work. You've been listening to Behind the Work. Email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for a new episode each Monday at 12 p.m. Central Time.